after that hug time, it's hard to get back into a sense, you know. Well, good morning again. I'm Pastor Dan, for those visitors that I know are here. The title of my sermon this morning is A Time for Reflection. My text is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. Of course, you'll find that in an insert in your bulletin with the title and the text and the sermon outline in the back of that insert for your easy reference. Now, this morning's scriptures report on the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, we are now way past Holy Week. And beginning with Palm Sunday, as Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly, Holy Thursday with the last Passover celebrated, Friday his death, then the resurrection, his and ours. Now we are waiting for God's promises. You know, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit is right around the corner. Pentecost Sunday's coming. But now, however, is the time for waiting and reflection. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane doesn't really get a lot of play because it's overshadowed with the events of of that week. But let's visit that garden this morning and pray with me this morning as I see God's anointing on the message, as I usually do, Psalm 1914. And so, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? Crunch time. In business, crunch time is the period of time immediately before a project is due. In crunch time, it is not unusual for a company to require its employees to put in 12-plus-hour days, seven days a week, until the product is ready for market. If you're a sports fan, you're familiar with that term. You know, in basketball, crunch time applies to the last few minutes of play in the fourth quarter. It refers especially to the last minute of the game when the score is either tied or so close that one shot can make the difference of winning or losing. Crunch time. Our text, Matthew chapter 26, refers to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verse 36, we read, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. For the Son of God, it is now crunch time. Thursday night, close to midnight, it is a week that has been full of last things. The last visit to the temple, the last sermon, the last Passover supper, and now with three of his inner circle, the last prayer he will pray before he goes to the cross. For Jesus, crunch time will take place not in a gym but in a garden. Not behind a desk, but behind a tree. Not sitting in a comfortable chair, but kneeling on cold, hard ground. And when Jesus entered the garden, he knew he would be arrested there. He knew it was the beginning of the end. And when John described in John 18.4 the arrival of the soldiers to arrest Jesus, he tells us, So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? Jesus knew it was crunch time. He knew this is what his entire life had 
all come down to. And we need to listen carefully and closely this morning because if you are a follower of Christ or if you ever decide to follow Christ, you, will, you too will have to go into your own Gethsemane. In fact, that explains why Jesus invited three of his disciples to go with him. You see, Gethsemane was a very familiar place to the disciples. They had been there several times before, and even Judas knew exactly where Jesus was going to be that night. John 18, 2 tells us that Jesus often met with his disciples at this garden. And Jesus invited his inner circle of three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to accompany him. And he did it for a reason. He wanted them and us to learn how to handle crunch time. Crunch time occurs when I am faced with a situation where I can make a moral choice and I have to decide, am I going to do what God wants or what I want? Two young adults on a, on a date, they have to decide, are they going to maintain their sexual purity or indulge their selfish pleasures? It is crunch time. A husband and wife are going through some difficult times in their marriage. Are they just going to get a divorce or keep their promise to God and stay together and work the problem out? It is crunch time. You are an Exeron executive. You can either use complex partnerships to keep $500 million in debt off the books and hide your financial problems, or you can tell the truth. It is crunch time. You know, what we're going to learn in the Garden of Gethsemane this morning is this. The benefits of doing the will of God are always greater than the cost. And as we look at Jesus, here is what we learn. First, consider in your outline, crunch time involves seeking the will of God. In the few times that we see Jesus praying in the Gospels, only one time, Do we ever see him praying for the same thing more than once? And we find it here in the Garden of Gethsemane. In our text, verse 39, we read, And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In verse 42, we read, He went out again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And then verse 44 tells us, and he left them again, and he went and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. In the most anguished, difficult prayer that Jesus ever prayed, one thing was on his mind and one thing was on his heart, and that was the will of God. And apart from the will of God, there would have been no Garden of Gethsemane. People who have no concern for the will of God and are only interested in doing what they want, never have to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. The one thing that had brought Jesus to this grove full of olive trees on this, the darkest night of all nights in the history of mankind, was the will of God. And doing the Father's will had been the supreme concern of Jesus all of his life. You know, when he was 12 years old, he said to his parents in Luke 2.49, Didn't you know that I have to be in my father's house doing my father's business? Very early in his ministry, he said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
And he later said in John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. See, the will of God was not something that God the Father forced on God the Son. It was something that God the Son was always seeking from God the Father. In fact, Jesus said in John 5.30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Listen, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but really the entire Bible is the story of two gardens. The Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. What one man did in the first garden ruined us. What another man did in another garden rescued us. In the first garden, a man named Adam decided to seek his own will. Rather than doing what he knew God wanted him to do, he did what he wanted to do. And because of that, we now have four major problems in the world today. Sin, sickness, sorrow, and death. The ultimate reason why there is cancer, murder, divorce, adultery, homosexuality, terrorism, greed, and jealousy is because one man looked at God and said, not your will, but my will be done. And when Jesus, the second Adam, came to the garden, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And just like Jesus, we were put on this earth to seek the will of God. And every day in the life of a follower of Christ, it is all about seeking and finding and doing the will of God. But that is where the problem begins. You see, consider in your odd light next that crunch time includes struggling with the will of God. If you had been at the garden that night, you could have easily picked Jesus from the other three disciples. He would have been the one on the ground he would have been the one in the garment literally soaked with sweat. He would have been the one agonizingly crying to God. He would have been the one whose hair was plastered to his forehead, wet, not just with drops of sweat, but with drops of blood. And as Jesus walked from the upper room across the Kindred Valley up to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, as he looked back over his shoulder to see the lights of Jerusalem twinkling in the dark, he could see what the disciples couldn't see. He knew that just outside the city, the greatest battle in the history of the world would be fought. He knew also that he was facing something that no one else could face, ever has faced, or ever will face, the taking of all the sins of all the world of all time on himself. He knows that literally hell is about to break loose. Listen, he knows what he is supposed to do. But he also knows what he doesn't want to do. And those two are exactly the same. Have you ever been there? We all have. This is a struggle of cosmic proportions. Talk about being all stressed out. You haven't seen stressed until you see Jesus in the garden. He was not just stressed out. He was eternally stressed out. In fact, the stress was so great that he almost died there in the garden before he even got to the cross. Matthew puts it this way in Matthew 20, 38, which states, Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. There is no greater agony 
no greater grief, no greater suffering than that which takes you to the brink of dying. You know, the stress was so great and the struggle was so real that a doctor named Luke recorded it this way in Luke twenty-two forty-four, which states, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The doctors described this condition as hemadidrosis. It's very rare, but very serious. What happens is that the emotional distress becomes so great that capillaries beneath the skin can literally burst, and you actually spill, start spilling blood through your sweat glands. His heart rate must have been off the charts. His blood pressure was out of sight. Why was he feeling such agony? Let me assure you, it was not because he was afraid of dying. There was a lot of men that day that went to the cross and never flinched. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. It wasn't death that Jesus feared, because he had come to die. What he feared was not death, but a cup. Matthew 26, 39 states, And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What was this cup that Jesus did not want to drink from? This cup represented the wrath of God that would pour out on his son as punishment for the sins of the world. You see, Jesus, all he had ever known for all eternity was perfect, complete, whole, total, intimate fellowship with the Father. Now he is facing not the love of God, but the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the punishment of God for sins he did not even commit. And here's the point. Even though it is always best to do the will of God, it is not always easy to do the will of God. There is a cost to doing the will of God. There is a price to be paid if you are going to do the will of God in your life. And Jesus knows what it's like when you are in that situation, when you are struggling to do what you know God wants you to do, when it is not what you want to do. He knows what it's like to be torn between two desires. He knows what it's like to beg God to change his mind about something and to hear God say, no. Listen, if it was always easy to do God's will, everybody would do it. Nobody would sin. The problem is it is not. This is so important to hear. It is in the private struggle you face at that moment when you are in your Garden of Gethsemane alone with God that the battle is won or lost. You may think that the battle for our salvation was won at the cross, but it wasn't. It was won in the Garden. If Jesus had said, not your will, but mine be done, we wouldn't be here today. Jesus made up his mind in the garden that he would rather go to hell for us than to go to heaven without us. The war was finished on the cross, but the battle was fought in the garden. Listen, if you will make up your mind in private 
what the no's of your life are and the yeses of your life are, then you can face anything that happens to you in public. I warn you, it's going to be a struggle. That great Christian, Augustine, tells of the turning point in his own life. He had been having an adulterous relationship with a woman, but he knew it was outside the will of God. So he's sitting on a bench under a fig tree with his Bible. And he heard a voice that was calling from a nearby home saying, pick it up, pick it up. That person was not talking to Augustine. That person was talking to someone else, but that voice motivated Augustine to pick up his Bible and read it. And he read these words, Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. At that moment, with tears in his eyes in his own garden of Gethsemane, he said, from now on, not my will, but yours will be done. And he said goodbye to that woman forever and gave the rest of his life to Christ. See, one reason why the garden is in the Bible is to teach us that the struggle to do what is right against the temptation to do what is wrong is real. But because of the example of Christ and the power of God, we can win that struggle. But it takes learning the third principle. That is in your outline, number three. Crunch time invites surrendering to the will of God. See, Jesus prays a prayer three times. He prayed out loud for a purpose. You know, many times Jesus would pray because he knew other people would be listening. Jesus knew the disciples would hear his prayer. And Jesus knew that one day we would hear this prayer. He wanted us to hear it so that we would also pray it. You know, when you find yourself in those situations where you are struggling with God's will, even to the point where you ask God to change his will. Remember that Jesus prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But then also remember, the prayer of all prayers is when you say what Jesus finally said in verse 42. My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. See, I want you to notice how Jesus addressed his prayer. It is in the Garden of Gethsemane where we encounter the only place in all of Scripture where Jesus ever addressed God in prayer as my Father. Jesus' prayer was, above all things, a prayer of surrender. He was coming to God as a child who comes to a father. He was saying, in effect, Father, you always know what is best. You always do what is right. You never make a mistake. So not what I will, but what you will. Let your will be done. Now understand, there is nothing wrong with a struggle. Struggling with the will of God is natural. But here's what you need to remember. If the price of an action defies God's will, the cost will always be too high. Jesus could have said, 
No, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would have avoided the cost of crucifixion, of separation, of isolation, of experiencing the full wrath of a holy God against the sins of the world. The price he would have paid is losing the entire human race to a devil who hates us and to a hell that awaits us. The benefits of following God's will was not only the approval of his heavenly Father, but a multitude of people that, would, that no man can number that will love him, praise him, glorify him, and serve him forever. I want you to remember, the benefits of doing God's will always outweigh the cost of not doing God's will. Every day of your life, you will face a crunch time. Whether it is being honest in a business deal, keeping your virginity, holding a marriage together, or telling the stockholders the truth. Just remember, the benefits of doing the will of God are always greater than the cost. Amen? And as we go and apply these principles to our walk, let us remember that as we go forth, we worship 24-7. We worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There's only one true God. Amen?